0: I found a report in June of this year that came from Asia. And the title of the report is Opposition to the Gospel. Opposition to the Gospel. And the report goes something like this. I'm sure I'm going to die very soon, the pastor said to his wife. She clenched her fists. Softly but firmly, she replied, Then God must give me strength to bear it. After planning the church... And spending three years, they had grown the small congregation to 30 members. But religious and political extremists threatened to destroy the church and to kill the pastor. On that Friday evening, they saw someone approaching the house. And the pastor went out to meet them. As his wife was preparing to follow, she heard the gunshot. Extremists were willing to kill a pastor in order to prevent the gospel from taking root locally in Asia. Since that time, the church has flourished and many have come to faith in Christ. Anybody say amen to that? But since the earliest days of Christianity that we're reading about now as we work our way through the book of Acts, we discover and we're reminded that Christians and the Christian church have constantly been opposed by religions, by governments, by many who are against the message of the gospel. Now, question I've got today for us is this. Why such opposition to the gospel? Why is it that so many groups on the outside have persecuted and opposed Christians and and to the extent of threatening and attacking and in some cases even killing? Why not just... Write us off. Why not just let us do our thing? Why oppose, attack, and seek to destroy? Secondly, why is it that there are so many examples like this pastor and his wife who are willing to go where it is tough, where they put their life on the line, where they're not guaranteed that they're, they're, their own safety in order to establish a gospel presence in the midst of even hostile uh, territories? Why are people willing to do that? On one hand, why the opposition? On the other hand, why the willingness to go into such opposition? And the answer is the same. Because of the radical, life-changing effect of the gospel of Jesus Christ upon the life of all those who will believe. To the extent that when a person has been so changed By Christ, they're willing to go out and live a life and share a testimony that is both evident and undeniable that other people may come to know Christ. Isn't that what we're all about? That other people may come to know Christ? And likewise, when that happens, there are those who are the forces of evil and wickedness that will oppose at every turn because of the radical life-changing difference that Jesus makes. In the early days of the Christian church, The disciples, the followers of Jesus, who had been with Him throughout His ministry, they had seen Him die on the cross, be buried, be raised from the dead, and spend 40 days with Him, and then bestow upon them the Holy Spirit. These disciples were so radically changed that they were willing to go into the very place where Jesus had been condemned, go to the very people who had condemned Jesus, and they could not help but share the wonderful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I invite you to stand with me this morning. And we're going to talk about today a faith, a faith that is evident and a faith that is undeniable. It impacted the disciples in the book of Acts, but as I'm trying to say repeatedly during these days, this is not just a history lesson. This is an, this is an encouragement for us to have the same faith, to take the same steps of obedience, and to see God work in and through us in the way He did in the days of the New Testament church. We're in Acts chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 22 this morning. And we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit indwelt and empowered and encouraged the disciples so that they could go out and minister in the name of Jesus. Just want to share with you a couple of things. Last week we were in Acts chapter 3. And Peter and John were going to the temple, and on their way to the temple, a man who was lame was begging for money. And they said to the man, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we're going to give to you in the name of Jesus. Remember that phrase, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And the man stood up and walked, and his ankles, where he had been injured or where he had the defect. From birth were healed and it says he was leaping and praising the Lord and they went into the temple you remember that how they were shouting hallelujah because it's okay to shout in church amen yes. thank you they were, they were excited and it attracted a crowd and when it attracted a crowd Peter being a good Baptist preacher said I can't let a crowd go to waste let me tell you about Jesus and then we get to Acts chapter 4. And in Acts chapter 4, the same scene is going on, but now the Jewish leaders have heard about it, and they're going to come and they're going to say, what's going on out here? Because we can't have disruptions in the church. And in verse 12, 11 and 12, Peter is responding to the Jewish leaders. And he's talking about Jesus. And he says, Jesus is the stone that was rejected, which has become the cornerstone. In verse 12, he said very significantly, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings salvation and life change. It also brings opposition at every turn. But the salvation that Jesus brings is both evident and undeniable to those who believe and those who follow Jesus. My prayer today is that when we walk out of this room, that we'll be more determined than ever to live a life in the power of the Holy Spirit of God that will help us to go out into our communities, our jobs, our homes, and to live a life where people will look at us and it will be evident and undeniable that you and I are followers of Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, make it so today. Encourage us by Your Word. Instruct us by Your Scripture. Empower us by Your Spirit. Lord, many of us, when we think about living a life that is evident and undeniable, demonstrating the presence of Christ in our lives, Lord, it can, it can cause fear, it can cause an awkwardness, it can cause us to be uncomfortable. And Lord, help us to own up to that and also to recognize the stakes are too high not to live for Jesus. And may that be our determination now, throughout this service, and in the days to come, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we think about this scene that's this going on there in the temple, carried over from last week, Acts chapter 3, I want to point out to you from, from this chapter, Acts 4, verses 1 to 22, I want to point out some, some incredible truths about the gospel and about the gospel message. The first thing I want to point out is this. That is, there is always opposition to the gospel. You can write that down. You can circle the word always. There is always opposition to the gospel. To the gospel, History is full of stories of believers and followers of Christ who've gone out to share the gospel, to tell a, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, somebody down the street, some stranger walking down the road. And many times there's a positive, wonderful response and a blessing, but there's always at some point opposition to the gospel. Notice chapter 4 verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, Came upon them. The scene is this, as I mentioned a moment ago. They're, they're, Peter is preaching, the crowd has gathered, the man has been healed, the shouting is going on, and all of a sudden the, the priests and the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders, they it says here, they, they came upon them. The, the picture here is that they swooped in. <laughs> all this, this great excitement's going on, and all of a sudden it's like you look up and you've been surrounded by the bad guys. That's what that's the picture here. They, they 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 swooped in. They 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 came upon them, and verse 2 begins with saying this. They were greatly annoyed. They could not believe this is happening yet again. They had already put Jesus on the cross. That was supposed to be behind them, and all of a sudden his his followers have have risen up, risen up, and they are telling everybody that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And the Jewish leaders are getting fed up with that. They are getting Annoyed. They were, in fact, greatly annoyed because the, the disciples were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus is the resurrection from the dead. And here's the thing. When you and I put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Scripture tells us that our sins are forgiven, that when we die on this earth, unless the Lord comes first, when we die, we will be raised from the dead. That's the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And so so the gospel of Jesus Christ is simply this. Believe on Jesus and have eternal life. Believe on Jesus and you will be raised from the dead because God raised Jesus from the dead, the first fruits of many, the first of many to follow. And it is those who put their faith and their trust in Christ. This was ticking off the Jewish leaders. They thought they had taken care of it. So what did they do? Verse 3, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. So they'd gone to pray about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and all this stir had taken place. It's a little while later now, it's late in the day, and the Jewish leaders swoop in, and they're greatly annoyed. So they arrest them, and they say, listen, that's quitting time. Let's just arrest them and put them in jail overnight. That's what they did. They opposed the disciples. Now I want you to think for a second about opposition that they faced because it's the same opposition that we face today concerning the gospel. There are those who will oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give you four areas, four sources of opposition. One is spiritual forces. Spiritual forces oppose the gospel. There are, there are unseen Forces out there, forces of of God and forces of evil. We can't see, we don't detect, we don't know what's going on out there, but we have the words of God in Scripture that remind us and instruct us and tell us. For example, in Ephesians chapter 6 it tells us, "...we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, if you want me to explain all that, I can't. Except to say this is what it says in the Scripture. And there are unseen, evil, wicked forces that are in opposition to the Gospel so that when you and I determine we're going to live for Jesus, when you and I determine we're going to believe in Jesus, when you and I determine that when we go about our life, we're going to look to impact and influence others For Jesus, we're going to live a life that is both evident and undeniable that Christ lives in us. We're going to meet opposition from spiritual forces. How's that make your day? Let's be reminded, as it says in 1 John chapter 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So while we may face spiritual forces, let's be reminded that we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. And there's no force that can come against us that can ever stand up to the force that is within us. And that's Jesus Christ, our Savior. But we also find that there's opposition from other religions. Other religious beliefs that are different than the the Christian belief, different than the message of the gospel. The Jewish leaders of that day were in opposition to the message of the gospel. All throughout history, there have been all kinds of religions that have risen up and that have opposed the gospel. There are many in our day, in our time, that are rising up and opposing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in many parts of the world, Christians are being attacked simply for the fact of being a Christian. And we never need to forget that. We always need to be reminded of the church that is being persecuted at any given time. We also need to recognize that there's opposition from governments and institutions. Governments and institutions are in opposition to the gospel. When the communists take over a country, they are an atheistic uh, philosophy so that they want to drive God completely out of society altogether. They, they persecute, they, they annihilate, they, they, they seek out, they, they uh, criticize and they, they persecute people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of governments and institutions that are often dominated by those who are in opposition to the gospel. The gospel is a danger to those in power in those types of governments. And also recognize that we are facing opposition from time to time from groups and individuals. It might be a group that we're associated with that no longer will allow uh, a Christian expression. It could be an individual that that we come into contact with that says, Stop talking to me about Jesus. I've had that happen to me one or two times. We can be friends, but we can't talk about Jesus. And so there is opposition that comes. It, It might be in a business or a school somewhere where they say you cannot wear clothing that advertises that you're a Christian or that has a Bible verse on it. It could be that that in your business, there are businesses that say you cannot open your Bible and read it while you are at work. You cannot have a conversation about the Lord Jesus Christ at work. You uh, You can't invite somebody to come to your church. Those are all things that are happening right here in our own country in different places. So we're going to face opposition, some at a low level, some at a high level, but opposition always comes against the gospel. And instead of that scaring us away, it ought to make us more determined than ever to stand up and live for Christ. Because as we'll see, secondly, the power of the gospel cannot be stopped. I love that. The power of the gospel cannot be stopped. The, the disciples have, have caused this big stir. This man has been healed. The, the, the Jewish leaders have swooped in and thrown him in jail. So what happens next? Verse 4, But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. In spite of the persecution, in spite of the opposition, in spite of throwing them in jail, people heard the message they saw the man who had been healed. It was so clear that God is in this, the Holy Spirit is at work, that more and more people continued to believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Growth in the church, in spite of the disciples being confronted, in spite of the opposition, in spite of the persecution, in spite of the questions, in spite of the arrest, and in spite of the threats, the gospel still goes forth. Isn't that good news today? You know, many parts of our world, churches are outlawed. And over time, from people that are coming out of those countries or when the, when the atheistic regimes fall, we discover it happened in, it's happened in China, it's happened in Romania that I've heard firsthand about, it's happened in other places where, where we find that, yeah, the church is outlawed, but there's an underground church movement that is thriving in the face of opposition. People are still willing to believe and to invest their life in the gospel for the sake of the gospel. Romans 1.16 tells us this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Isn't that good news today? It is the power of God for salvation. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? There's no individual that can stand against God. There's no group that can stand against God. There's no government that can stand against God. There's no religion that can stand against God. If God is for us, and listen, if we call on Christ, God is for us. And since God is for us, who can stand against us? Nobody. They may kill the body, as Jesus said. We don't need to worry about who can kill the body, but worry about Him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's who God is. Well, thirdly, I want you to notice this that questions arise when the gospel is shared. When, When the gospel is presented, questions start popping up. When, when people dare to, 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 to tell their friend, their neighbor, their family member, when, when somebody in, in a congregation like this dares to say, I'm going to identify my one, my person, as, as we talk about in the bulletin and we've made some bookmarks and, and, and little tags available to you, we've encouraged you to pray for your one. Who's the one person God would lay on your heart to pray for, to encourage them, to invite them to church, to share the gospel with them? Who is your one? And when that happens... Questions always come up. Verse number seven. When they set them in their midst, this is the next day. They brought them back. Okay, we we put you in jail overnight. We bring them back out. They've they've got them right there before the Jewish leaders. They inquire, they ask the question. By what power or by what name did you do this? this? This healing had taken place. So how did it happen? Who did it? What name did you invoke upon this? Where where did this thing come from? And, And by the way, who are you? What happened? Who did it? Question after question after question. And when that happens, whether we're being interrogated by the local authorities or whether just asked a question by someone that we're sharing the gospel with, it's a good thing. When people are asking questions, it's a good thing. You may know my wife Pam is a school teacher. And in the schools, they say, you know, you can't, you can't just start talking about Jesus in school and wearing the clothing and things like that. But, but, but the, the rule is if, if, if a student asks you a question, you can answer it. And so when there are opportunities for, for a student to ask Pam, uh, you may know her. She's, she's almost, she's a little shy. <laughs> oh, you do know her, I can tell. She's bubbly and she's outgoing and, and she is not one to, to, to push the limits or the bounds of the opportunity she has, but she is one to live out her faith and when given the opportunity to tell a parent or a student or a fellow teacher about her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it raises questions. Some questions are threatening. Some questions are just for information. Why is it that I always see you have such a positive attitude even when the news is bad? Why is it that when, that when difficulties come your way and you're under stress, you still have a, a, something about your personality that just kind of shines out? What is it about you? Why do I see you reading the Bible and why do I hear you talking about going to church? Those questions that are asked in connection to the gospel are great questions. And we should take every one of them as an opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice fourthly. The Holy Spirit indwells, equips, and empowers the gospel. The the key player, the key actor on the stage here is not the disciples. If we're not careful, we can think this is a story about the disciples. It's not. It's a story about the impact on on the disciples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work. If you remember uh, in, in the story that we're going through here, just a short time ago, just a few weeks ago in the story, Peter is standing in the courtyard as Jesus has been arrested. And Peter has, has been asked by a little servant girl who has no, no, way, no way she can hurt him. But, but she says to Peter, aren't you one of those that are following Jesus? And Peter says, no! And uses a curse word. He says, I've never known him. I've never been, never been with him. I don't know what you're talking about. Because he was scared. And now just a short time later, in verse 8 of Acts chapter 4, it says, Then Peter, the same guy. The same guy, but but what's happened in the meantime is Jesus has died on the cross, been buried, been raised from the dead, and now the Holy Spirit has come down. Now, in chapter 4 of, of, of Acts, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you underline things in your Bible. I underline all over my Bible. But in, in, in my Bible, I've underlined... Filled with the Holy Spirit. Because everything that is about to be said about Peter is because he has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Understand that. Now there's one baptism in the Holy Spirit that we receive when we become a Christian, but there are many opportunities for fillings of the Holy Spirit. Situations in which the Holy Spirit floods our life and, and works through us as we yield ourselves to Him and allow Him to do so. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, rulers of the people people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, back in verse 7, they said, what name are you doing this in? By what power and what name? Well, now Peter says, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then Peter says this to their face: The same ones who had put Jesus on the cross, He says to them, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Jesus, by Him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, look at it, they're looking intently, they're, they're, they're really noticing these guys are bold in the face of these Jewish leaders. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they've not been to seminary, they've not been to the synagogue, they've not been to the pastor's training school. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, you guys were with Jesus. They made that connection. So what we need to understand here is that the coming of the Holy Spirit changes everything. If you get nothing outside of this message, understand that the coming of the Holy Spirit changes everything. Uh, when, with Peter, it changed everything. With John, it changed everything. With the disciples, it changed everything. With your, in your life and in my life as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit changes everything. What happened with them? They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. The leaders, the Jewish leaders, were astonished. And the the the, the people uh, were standing back in awe. And, the, and in fact, I've mentioned already the Holy Spirit in the Book of Acts is mentioned in every chapter, and over the course of the Book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is referenced, mentioned, and taught about seventy times. The Book of Acts should rightly be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit of God. Now we see here the Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit made a difference in their circumstance in the same way that the Holy Spirit makes a difference in our circumstance. Think about that. Think about your life and and, and where you're at on Thursday or where you happen to be on Tuesday morning or Wednesday afternoon and the people that you're around. Think about who lives at your house and, and the person that you're friends with and the opportunities that you have out in the community. Are there those people in whose life you would love to see Jesus make a difference? And you would say, well... Well, Pastor Mark, I'd, I'd love to do that. But, you know, it's just kind of awkward to have that conversation. And, and I'm a little, I, I'm not the best person with words. And I don't know all that much about, about the Scriptures. And, and I'd like to. And, and I'm glad if you come and, and talk to them. And, and, and I'd be glad to go. But they don't know me. They, they know you. And so, so when, when, when you have that, that desire, but, but, you know, it's a little awkward. Then you say, Lord, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to pray for a circumstance. I'm going to ask you to open a door. I'm going to ask you that your Holy Spirit might make enough of a difference in my life that I can make a difference in their life. That's what the disciples were willing to do. That's what, that's what can happen in our life. The, those, the people have said to me before, well, I never have a feeling of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, well, what are you doing? It's not just a matter of you walking down the street and the Holy Spirit zaps you all of a sudden. It's not, it's not like that at all. It's that, it's that you give yourself to following after the things of God and you put your spiritual eyes on to look for those opportunities. And then when they come, the Holy Spirit enables you in that moment to do what God has called you to do. That's the amazing thing about being a Christian. In fact, the, the, the New Testament gives us quite a list of ministries of the Holy Spirit. Let me share some of them with you just very briefly. The Holy Spirit draws those who are not believers He draws the unsaved to faith in Christ. You and I, when we become Christians, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, the the difference that comes with becoming a Christian is only because God's Holy Spirit draws you like a fish on a line. It draws you in. The Holy Spirit convicts unbelievers and believers of sin and righteousness and judgment. That convicting spirit in your soul is no word that I can ever say. It's not a word anybody else can ever tell you but it's God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates our human spirit. When we come to know Christ, our spirit is regenerated. comes to life because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws us closer to God. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us or makes us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit anoints us with divine power The Holy Spirit helps us and comforts us in the difficult times of life. The Holy Spirit provides gifts, and the Holy Spirit cultivates the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God indwells and equips and empowers believers for the gospel. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And God has poured out His Spirit that He may be able to impact the world through us for Him. Now go back and look at the first truth I gave you and that is that there is always opposition to the gospel. Let's look at that again just for a second. Verses 14 through 18. Seeing that the man who was healed standing before them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So now here's this man who's been jumping all around. He's been healed. Everybody knows it. So, so the, the Jewish leaders recognized they could say nothing in opposition. They could say nothing. Say The, the key word there is say. They could say nothing in opposition. Why? Because the power and the presence of the gospel speaks for itself. When the gospel is presented and lives are changed, anybody who would be in opposition, have nothing they can say because the evidence is in the changed life. The evidence is in the fruit of what God's Spirit has done. Verse 15, but. Nothing they could say with all the people around, but. Verse 15. When they had commanded them to leave the council, They conferred with one another. They got together. They they put them out of the room for a minute, and they got together. They're going to talk. How how are we going to deal with this? Verse 16, saying, What shall we do with these men? What are we going to do? We are annoyed. They keep talking about Jesus. They keep talking about being raised from the dead. This man's being healed. What are we going to do? I can just imagine all of them scratching their heads and looking at each other. For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. It is evident and undeniable that God is at work here. It is evident and undeniable that it is beyond these men to do what's been done. It is evident and undeniable that only God can do this, although they're not willing to admit it. They are saying it is evident and undeniable. Verse 17, But in order that it may spread no further among the people. We have to cut this off. As Barney Fife famously said, we have to nip it, nip it, nip it. In order to spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. That'll do it. We'll we'll threaten them and we'll tell them, okay, you can leave, but you can't talk about Jesus. That'll take care of it. So they called them in and they charged them. You're not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You can't do it. It's a, it's a gag order. It's, 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 it's a shutdown. It's a, it, it, it's a silencing of the voice of those who know the gospel. And, and, and it goes right along with opposition tactics that have been tried throughout history. Those, uh, those uh, tactics include threatening, intimidating, attacking, casting doubt, stirring up, opposing... Criticizing, condemning, persecuting, and even killing those who follow after Jesus Christ. What are the results of those types of attacks? The results of those types of attacks are that the gospel message becomes evident and undeniable in the lives of those who walk after Jesus. Those who are willing to say that that Jesus lives in my heart and I can't help but live and teach and talk and tell others about Him. In fact, look again at at, at, uh, truth number four, how the Holy Spirit indwells, empowers, and equips the gospel. Down in verse 19. Look at what it says. Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than God, you must judge. You decide. Should we listen to you? Or should we listen to God? Well, is it pretty self-explanatory? Should we listen to people? Or should we listen to God? If we listen to people, we can shut our mouth and avoid the opposition. But we'll disappoint God. If we listen to God and we open our mouth and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're going to face opposition. You decide whether it's right. But for us, verse 20, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We, we can't help it. We can't stop it. We, we have to tell people what we've seen because, because of what He's done for me, what He's done to me, what He's done in me, and what He's done through me. We just can't help going out. We saw Him crucified. We saw Him buried. We saw Him raised. And He has sent His Spirit. And we've seen this man who is lame be healed. We can't help but talk about the one who made this Happen, and the one who came recently i had a couple of opportunities to share with people i'm using these little invite cards you know the green invite cards we had they're great cards and i've passed them out uh, to several different folks i was talking to a man in the community not long ago and and i said man i'd like to invite you to come to our church here's a little green invite card he took it he looked at it he listened to me for just a second tell a little bit about myself and about jesus And, and he said thank you very much and i hadn't seen him in church maybe he'll come maybe he won't but that's okay but I was at the bank a little bit later, and I took the green invite card. I was talking to a teller that I've talked to on several different occasions. And in talking to the teller, uh, she said something. I had my Ridgecrest shirt on. She says, are you a pastor? I said, yes. I said, as a matter of fact, I'd love to invite you to my church. And, and it had that big bulletproof glass. You know, you feel like you walk in the door, and you're going to get shot, but they're going to be okay. You know that, right? So I got the, it's got the little scooper thing, so I, I stuck a card under there. I said, here, let me invite you to come to our church. They said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not necessary, she said. It's not necessary. And, uh, and I left the card. I don't know if another customer got it or she took it and threw it away. I don't know what, but, but, but people respond differently. But, but understand that, that, that when we're ready and prepared, God will open doors of opportunity to share, and the Holy Spirit will do that. We don't have to do it. We just have to be looking around. And notice lastly, back to point number two. The power of the gospel cannot be stopped. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. Verse 21, when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. He'd been coming out to the temple for 40 years. People had seen him grow up there at the temple begging and asking people for alms. And, 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 and in the midst of all of that now, this man has been healed and everybody knew exactly what it was. Well, Listen, even though there are threats, even though there are arrests, and we don't typically think about that in the church in the United States That day may be coming, it may not be coming, we don't know. But even in the threat of of arrest and threats being made and punishment being given, listen, the gospel can't be stopped. The gospel can't be stopped. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In the March edition this year of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association Uh, periodical it speaks about a renowned chemist James Tour James Tour was raised in a secular Jewish home outside of New York City and while he was a freshman at Syracuse University he encountered a Christian who shared with him the Bible verse from Matthew 5 27 and 28 you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart and the article goes on to say this, Addicted to pornography, he knew he was guilty. It was the first indication to me, he said, that I was a sinner. And Jesus brought it right back to what I do in my heart. Shortly after that, in 1977, James Tour became a Christian. He began to grow in Christ. And the article mentions that he prayed, read his Bible, studied, memorized Scripture, and, and, uh, and meditated on the Bible, routines of discipleship, which we've been talking about right in here. He gets up now every morning at 3.30 and spends two hours with God every morning. He's a renowned uh, professor at Rice University. He says, my prayer is, Lord, give me one person each week. And I thank God to see an average of one person coming to the Lord every week. And every week he teaches a Sunday school class at his church, a Baptist church. And afterwards he and his wife host lunch for college students. And every week there's between 60 and 100 students at Cram into their house. That's just one example of what can happen when we allow the Lord Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit to make our lives evident and undeniable for the gospel. I wonder today, I wonder today, how effective is your life at being evident and undeniable for the gospel? Take just a moment. Just just think about your day. Just think about your week. Just Think about people that are in and out of your life. And and is there a situation where people know you're a believer? They know you're a follower of Christ? Are you encountering opposition to sharing the gospel? Are you just kind of cruising through and people may or may not know that you are a a Christian? Is it it impacting your life to the degree that, that, that others would have to say it's evident and undeniable that you follow after Jesus? I pray that people see that about me. I pray that not just in the church, but I pray that when I go out and go shopping at Food or, or the new Harris Teeter or, or wherever I happen to be, I, I pray that when I'm at Lowe's or, or Home Depot or Chick-fil-A or wherever I happen to go, I pray that people will see me and, and have an opportunity to, to recognize that, the, 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 that Jesus made a, has made a difference in my life that is both evident and undeniable. And I find that when I make that my prayer that He opens up opportunities that I never saw coming. And He'll do the same for you. And no doubt many of you can share testimonies just of just that very thing. How God opens doors of opportunity when you trust in Him. I invite you to stand with me, if you would. <clears throat> I invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a quick moment. How can we live lives that are evident and undeniable for the gospel? The most important way we can do that is by maintaining that routine of discipleship that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Of being in the Word of God. Of fellowshipping with other believers. Of spending time personally and as a congregation in worship and in prayer. And do that repeatedly. Trusting the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to guide our lives. And amazing things will happen when we do that I wonder in the quietness of this moment if somehow in some way the Lord is just calling you to take a step to make a commitment to to, to make a, a determination that going forward you'll be more faithful in one of those areas you'll be more faithful in seeking out people to impact for the gospel you'll be more faithful at reading your Bible more diligent in your prayers listening to His voice more open to His Spirit that says, speak to this person. Invite this person to church. Make a friend of this person who is not like you. And to do so for the glory of Christ through the Gospel. Our Heavenly Father, folks, have been so kind today to listen as I've shared from Your Word. I pray, Lord, that I've been biblically accurate. I pray that I've been Spirit-led and directed. I pray, Lord, that you've gone before the words that I've spoken and impacted the hearts and ears of everyone who's listened today. And I pray, our Heavenly Father, that you would take what's been said and take what's been sung and take the observance of the Lord's Supper that we've experienced together and, Lord, use it for your glory. Use it for the strengthening of the saints. Use it, Lord, to impact us in ways that make our faith evident and undeniable. That when people see us, they see the difference that Jesus makes. And when they see the difference that Jesus makes, they'll want, they'll want what they see in us. And we'll thank you, Lord, and we'll praise your name as we pray together in the name of Jesus. Amen.